Hey man, welcome back. It's getting dark and I was maybe gonna shovel some rocks around while listening to what's going on. Live! My touch is live right now. It's Thanks for 320k, even though it's just law enforcement. But I hope you learned something, Tamu's boys. Amazing Black Friday sale. Timu, shopping like a billionaire. Twenty million dollars to five hundred million dollars in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case, and he will also be banned from ever doing real estate business again Yay. in the state of New York. Goran, Justice Ngoran, the judge presiding over the case, is expected to make his final ruling this upcoming week. <laughs> and just in time, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals issued an important ruling on a case involving Martin Shrikeli. Remember that guy? Pharma bro? And the decision by the Second Circuit there has now become persuasive and powerful precedent that I think will defeat Donald Trump's chance of ever succeeding if he tries to appeal the judgment in the New York Attorney General case that's about to be entered. So, Michael Popak, we're looking at about half a billion dollars in judgment against yeah. Donald Trump. I predicted here on Legal AF, which will likely be entered before February. Finally, we've 1. got him on the run. It also be noted that the financial monitor terrorizing who's been us overseeing all Donald years. Trump's finances in connection with the New York Attorney General civil fraud case. Almost retired federal judge Barbara Jones, just in time as well, sent a letter to Justice Arthur and Goron. A 14-month report, a 14-month look back on a review of the Trump Organization with massive red flags that she is informing Justice Ngoron of. We'll talk about the implications of her letter. Donald Trump desperate for a distraction file and facts have now come out, making it increasingly clear that this whole thing with Bonnie Willis is much to do about absolutely nothing. They, like, unsealed divorce records. It showed absolutely nothing. And it's all this MAGA nonsense. Then Donald Trump goes, you know what? Maybe now I should join in the motion to try to disqualify and get her dismissed. Donald Trump's a loser, and he likes to whine about losing and his timing is always the worst also all of the judges including the right-wing judges of the dc circuit court of appeals unanimously rejected donald trump's petition for an en banc rehearing of the gag order that was imposed on him by federal judge tanya chutkin in the dc criminal case and affirmed mostly Rid of them all. By a three-judge panel in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, Donald Trump said, hey, maybe can like all of the judges now of all the judges who comprise the D.C. Circuit hear this? And all of them were like, none of us want to hear this. Please go away. But still, the three-judge D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal panel that is hearing the absolute immunity appeal by Donald Trump, they have not yet ruled which... I was expecting this past. Oh. Oh, shit.
special prosecutors to lock up mm, from January 6th insurrection. Okay. Week, this next week would be the latest. I would have expected that to drop. So we'll see if they issue their order. Um, regarding Trump's absolute immunity appeal next week. But Popak, could you imagine they deny Donald Trump's absolute immunity appeal next week? Judge Ngoron uh, enters a close to a half a billion dollar order judgment against Donald Trump. The E. Jean Carroll verdict and all of that happens before February 1. A lot, of, a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Donald Trump's not the only one that tries to time his filings in order to to um, for maximum impact. I am sure. I am sure mm -hmm. Judge Angoron, with special delight, is putting the finishing touches now on mm -hmm. his um, whether it's three hundred, four hundred, five hundred million dollar <laughs> decision against Donald Trump and to ban Donald Trump from the real estate industry for life. In the New York civil fraud case. Now having seen. How Judge Kaplan handled his courtroom. We'll go into that in detail during the one week trial. Donald Trump acting out and flouting the rules again. By ready to punish him. The whole jury, the whole trial of E. Jean Carroll was about sending a sufficient punishing message, message through punitive damages to stop his misconduct, for which Donald Trump in the courtroom, outside the courtroom, and during the trial could not help himself, but continued to um, to uh, perform his conduct in front of the jury, which only led to a much higher, I believe, much oh, higher dear, amount they than they would have had no he just played nicely in the sandbox and colored within the lines. And <laughs> when we get there, Ben, we'll talk about on, on the um, three-judge panel thing. Yeah, that's got to come out. I, I'm beyond tapping my foot on this one. It is obvious to me, and we'll, we can touch on it when we get to that segment, that that three-judge panel on absolute immunity in the D.C. Court of Appeals led by Judge Pan and then Judge Lock Childs and up. Judge Henderson are struggling to get the votes around how they're going to deny Donald Trump's appeal. I don't think the struggle that we're, that we're watching in the sense that it hasn't come out fast enough, the decision, the struggle is not over. There's a holdout. And there's maybe a majority to find absolute immunity for criminal conduct while somebody's in office. The struggle is how to write this and how to thread the needle and get all the votes together for a combination of jurisdiction. Do we have jurisdiction? And then a combination of, and then do we need to send it back to Judge Chutkin for anything? Or can we just declare once and for all there's no absolute immunity? They're struggling with it knowing the historic moment watching the struggle in the sense that, it, that this is why the order has not come out. Once we see the order, you and I and Karen will be able to pick through it, and we will know exactly what the conflict was and how it was resolved by way of this majority decision that we're waiting on. I think you and I both agree that the outcome will be Donald Trump does not have absolute presidential immunity. But to your point, the delay is likely being caused by these technical issues, the jurisdictional issues. Do you have to remand for certain technical questions to be answered by federal judge Tanya Chutkin as to each specific act? 
or can you just kind of sweepingly just say this absolute immunity thing is just totally without merit? Um, those types of questions are probably what's being discussed, but I have no doubt, or I feel very confident, I should say, that they're all in agreement, or at least the majority of the panel is what you need, is in agreement that there is no absolute immunity. We'll get to that a little later. To your point on Judge and Goran, I just think he was waiting for that report. He asked for that report from retired Judge Barbara Jones. And I think when we hear about Judge and Goran's mm. order, yes, the headline's going to be the amount somewhere between $370 million, but with prejudgment interest that'll and It'll probably look closer to 450, 500 million. But I think that what's going to be talked about a lot, and we'll go through this when we talk about the judge and Goron. His potential ruling. There's going to be a lot of discussion on his view about Donald Trump's ongoing behavior of fraud. The persistent systemic fraud that was identified in Judge Barbara Jones' report, Trump's ongoing behavior. And I think some of the big headlines is going to be that Donald Trump, even during the trial, posed a systemic threat to the financial system as evidenced by reports by the monitor. And that brings us, and it's a nice segue to talk about what happened in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case, because Rarely do you see somebody on trial ah, that shit. in a criminal case continues to commit mm. the crime while they are on trial or in a civil case, which the E.G. Carroll case was a civil case for monetary damages. Do you see a person who's on trial for defamation continuing to defame and continuing to behave in the way that they were accused of? Right. Most defendants even when they did the underlying act, try to at least pretend that they didn't do that or they don't act like that, and they're not going to keep on giving evidence to the person that's suing them or give evidence to the prosecution. But this was such a unique situation where during the trial, Trump would be posting defamatory statements about E. Jean Carroll. E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, would then be showing it to the, the judge and saying, I want to admit this into evidence, and then it would be admitted into evidence. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, he just did it again. When? Just now. <laughs> Moments ago. 22. You just you witnessed oh, the defamatory mm. statements live in real time. Well, I thought it shut me up. It's like it's been doing a lot lately. Shut me down. Shut me up. In this court. So no doubt that was a major aspect of the jury's verdict. And Eugene Carroll's lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, and Sean Crowley made that very clear in their closing arguments as well, that that's what was going on, and that's why you needed to send the message. Here are my takeaways, Popak, and then I want to throw it to you. Number one, the entire defense by Donald Trump uh, through Alina Haba was horrifying, was sickening, was disgusting. Alina Haba went there during the opening statements and closing arguments and argued E. Jean Carroll should be happy. <laughs> this is what she wanted. Donald Trump gave her what she wanted. Pain and attention. 
So really, Donald Trump is the victim here, which is the routine that these MAGAs do on their right-wing networks. But that's a horrific argument. That's like a horrific thing in a court of law to say. It's horrific to say anywhere. She tried to bring that MAGA Trump cult stuff into a court, and it didn't play, and say the victim of a rape should be happy because her rapist gave her fame and keeps giving her fame by defaming her. And E. Jean Carroll's lawyers said what I just said to the jury. How horrifying. Can you believe that that's what they are actually arguing to you today? That's what they're arguing to Trump's behavior in the courtroom, storming out, speaking under his breath, showing contempt for the jury, walking out before the jury walks out, just acting like a complete maniac in the courtroom. Three, Alina Habba was just the worst lawyer ever from every aspect of it. She was not likable and she was incompetent. She couldn't do basic things like introduce evidence. She doesn't know what admissible evidence even is. She doesn't know how to lay a foundation. She couldn't perform the most basic functions of being a lawyer. Uh Or as I mentioned, evidence created during the trial. Mm -hmm. Five, the judge controlling the courtroom and showing a roadmap how you control your courtroom when Donald Trump tried to speak out loud, Judge Kaplan would yell at him and say, be quiet, Mr. Trump. This is my courtroom. Understand what I'm saying. Be quiet right now. Donald Trump would listen. He would put Donald Trump in his place over and over again and would not let this become a circus-like environment. And finally, number six, E. Jean Carroll, her courage and the competency and just exceptional nature of her lawyers, Roberta Kaplan and Sean Crowley, who were A-plus lawyers and delivered just an incredible opening and closing. How much money is it going to take to make him stop? You're going to have to decide that because he needs to stop this behavior. Those are my takeaways. Popak, let me throw it to you. Well, yeah, I agree with everything that all all the five things that you just said. You've got a judge, got a collision here between a federal judge with empowered and and um, uh, with all of the endowed with all the powers of a federal judge, who knew who his enemy was in the sense of a defendant that was going to act out, was going to be contemptuous or contumacious, was going to be uh, disrespectful to the process to the system to the administration of justice, to the jury, and everybody else knowing that because of what happened. We all had a dress rehearsal back in April and May, um, a, a similar but not identical trial, but, a, but about liability, about whether Eugene Carroll was raped by Donald Trump, and he, and the jury of nine people in May found that she was. Um, and the only issue for this jury seems to be a, um, a concept lost on Alina Haba and on Donald Trump was not about liability. It was not about anything other than how big of a check for punitive damages would be written. When you walk into a courtroom, you're the defendant. In a case where the jury needs to determine if they are going to throw the book at you and award punitive damages, having already been instructed day one, including during jury selection, by the judge. This is a case about the amount of punitive damages, if any, that you, you are going to award. You, will, you are to assume 
that Donald Trump yeah. raped, raped, um, sexually assaulted E. Jean Carroll, and that he defamed her uh, in the in the 2019 period when he was president and thereafter. You were to take all of that into account, to harm her, nah. but with prejudice against her, with animus against her. Um, those are the. Hi there, we're listening to Midas Touch live with Michael Popak and Ben Marcellus. Got the mind the that the jury had at its disposal from the moment they walked into a courtroom. And you and I have talked a lot about on Legal AF over the last three and a half to four years our faith in the jury system. And we saw it play out here. I know that Robbie Kaplan, the lawyer for Eugene Carroll, is, is now on, on a network television. Hopefully we'll get her back on the podcast again. Um, it's also declaring her faith in the jury system, that they sent a message to bullies everywhere um, that they will be held accountable. And if you, uh, if you try to do, this is now the second example of this with Rudy Giuliani a couple of months ago, also acting out in front of a jury, um, doing things inappropriately in real time that was brought to the jury's attention, continuing to defame the people for which he was on uh, on trial for for same thing, defamation damages, punitive damages included, and the same result. He got a $148 million hit from a D.C. jury. This one, uh, right, by the way, right on the money, not just what we predicted, but right on the money of where a jury needs to be in order to have its jury verdict held ultimately through a trial and an appellate process, I'll talk about in a minute, at $65 million in punitive damages against the $28 million in actual damages, if you will, uh-huh. is, is so perfectly calculated um, to, to survive an appeal. I know all these nutty MAGA people are up on uh-huh. social media saying, he'll, he'll, she'll never see one cent. You're right. She's not going to see one cent. Yeah. She's going to see whatever the total is for $83 million worth of cents. Uh-huh. And that is going to get paid. That, the, the, the process now... Um, that people should understand as we as we manage expectations or set expectations is that 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 judgment will become final in about 30 days. Sure, Lena Haba is going to file a motion for remediator or vacateur, which means take to have the judge take away from the jury and lower the number or eliminate the jury verdict he's never uh, uh lewis kaplan the judge having watched donald trump act appropriately and teeter on the edge of contempt in this trial for most of this case for all of this case is not lowering the number he also has the power to raise the number by the way so Lena Haba, when she, when she asks for less, look for Robbie Kaplan to ask for a bit more and see what Judge Kaplan does in terms of it. Now, I don't think he takes it away from the jury. I think he's going to affirm and confirm the jury award. Once he does that, that judgment becomes final, and they can go enforce that judgment and show up with a sheriff at bank accounts, which we know where they exist, because the, the Barbara Jones monitor has, you know, we know where all the bank accounts are, unless they file the pellet bond take another appeal like they did in the first case for the 5.2 million this time it's not just coming up with cash you know just chump change and i mean literally chump change because he's taking it off the chumps that support him 
that, that Donald Trump does, never pays for his own, does, doesn't pay for his own bills and legal bills or on posting. But that was 5.2 million plus interest, plus another 10%. This is more. This is 83 million. So he's either going to have to get and go through the monitor to get it, ultimately, supply proper financial statements. Oh, what a tangled web we weave to a bonding company and try to get a 10% bond and only have to put up 8.3 million, or let's say 10 million, and then have the bonding company be on the hook for the rest. I don't know what bonding company, knowing that Donald Trump is committed persistent fraud in the state of New York as a judge by a judge, is going to do a bond for him, or he's going to have to come up with the 83 and change plus another set of interest, probably closer to 100 million and put it into the court registry in order to stop the enforcement of that while he takes it uh, what will ultimately be a losing appeal to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals on his way to the Supreme Court again on whether he had absolute, absolute immunity. Alina Haba, you did a great job on your hot takes, and, and we'll talk about it more here. It, it just uh, is this constant harangue that she used, that she intoned and berated the jury with about of First Amendment and the blame the rape victim and the blame the the rape victim had it coming in other words and the rape victim is profiting from this and and you shouldn't give her more money she's made so much money because she was raped by my client I mean this is just mind boggling bad and the <laughs> jury which as I started my my uh, analysis here juries hate being lied to being found found that you're inauthentic. And that you're talking down to them, patronizing them. And I assure you, having worked with juries for years, this jury despised Alina Haba, despised the muttering, unhinged ramblings of Donald Trump. Alina Haba was shot down by the judge in front of the jury half a dozen times for doing things that were inappropriate, including being warned that she was that she was teetering on the edge of sanctions and contempt. Juries follow the leader, the leader being the judge wearing a black robe. They look for direction from that person. That's their boss, if you will, while they're sitting there doing their civic duty. I'm sure they had a lot of respect for, for uh, Judge Kaplan. And when when a judge looks at a lawyer and says, you're effing up in my courtroom, juries take notice. And when you're trying to calculate punitive damages, as you said, Ben, that defendant should be like a halo should they, they should be wearing like their best clothes and look prim and proper and just shut the f up in court it, it, unless you're testifying at that moment but that's not donald trump's approach he already had an example of what not to do with rudy giuliani and what a jury could do in response but that didn't stop him so he took a five million dollar judgment from the summer and he by his own misconduct and his lawyer's misconduct Turn that into an $83 million judgment with a brand new jury in New York. One last comment, Ben. Eric Garland should get credit also here for what he finally did in terms of taking the position ultimately that there was no pres there was no presidential immunity that would allow the, the, U the uh, United States to intervene in the case take Donald Trump out and therefore seek the case's dismissal. There was a period for about a year we were wondering what Merrick Garland was going to do with the E. Jean Carroll case. If he had stepped in and said, well, that looks like it's inside of presidential immunity and his scope of authority to have made those comments while he was president of the United States. So for future precedent, we're going to step in. That would have killed this case in its tracks and set a terrible precedent 
that the D.C. Court of Appeals and Supreme Court are dealing with now about immunity for civil and criminal acts of Donald Trump. So shout out to Merrick Garland. We would not be talking about an $83 million judgment for E. Jean Carroll if he had if he had asserted, if you will, presidential immunity and taken Donald Trump out of this case. You know, it's a hyper-technical immunity issue, which you could write hyper-technical textbooks about it. Suffice to say, there's a statute called the Westfall Act where the Department of Justice can assert that underlying conduct falls within the course and scope of presidential duties and therefore substitute in the United States as a defendant or party in the case in place of the government official. Bill Barr tried to do that. As the facts developed, Merrick Garland ultimately decided not to do that. But because Alina Haba was so incompetent, she could have, independent of that process, asserted absolute presidential immunity as an affirmative defense, independent of what the attorney general would do or not do, to still be able to try to make that argument. She failed to basically check the box and put that sentence uh, in the answer, which you would literally just say Donald Trump hereby asserts absolute presidential immunity. So when that issue more recently went before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, they laughed Alina Haba out of court and said, yeah, you're about three years too late for this. And also in Alina Haba's press conference that she had after the trial concluded, where she was whining about things like the judge wouldn't let my experts in, the judge wouldn't allow the dress to come in, the judge wouldn't all the blah, blah, blah. The reality is, is that Alina Haba waived all of those things. She, she Based on her bad lawyering for Donald Trump's decisions, they never turned over the DNA on time, which they could have done, and they could have made that an issue. It would have related to the first trial, not this trial, but they never turned that over on time. She waived the experts. She didn't file the, the declarations on time. She didn't designate appropriate experts. It was disqualified because she just didn't follow the most basic fundamental rules of civil procedure. And it was clear when she was in trial that she's just a very incompetent person and Trump surrounds himself with incompetent yes people like Alina Haba. And afterwards she posted something like, let's go MAGA, this is not the end of this. We're just getting started. Like just getting started with what, losing more? I could only hope that she <laughs> takes a more robust role on all mm -hmm. things Donald Trump. Final thing I wanna mention, federal judge Lewis Kaplan gave a warning to jurors. He's treated this case like a mob boss case, like a mafia case, as though you had El Chapo in front of him. He said, it do is. not, I'm going to give you a warning. You can do what you want to do here, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. But I would suggest strongly you tell nobody ever that you served on this jury because you could be in danger. So do not tell anybody. And the way he conducted his court, federal judge Lewis Kaplan, was that of a mafia trial. So Popak, to your point, Donald Trump will now have to post a bond. E. Jean Carroll, uh -huh. uh, unless Donald Trump doesn't post a bond, if he doesn't post a bond, E. Jean Carroll can start collections right away. If Trump posts the bond, it stays the collections pending the appeal. Trump will inevitably lose the appeal. That may take a year to kind of work its way through the courts. But in terms of when I would expect E. Jean Carroll to be paid, 
as it goes through the appeal process on both cases, I mean, you're probably talking about in 12 to 18 months to, to, to about two years, you know, she'll get paid. But Trump is going to have to pay that money. He's not going to be, you know, he's not going to be able to wiggle out of this one. I think you Yay. and I both agree. When we come back, let's talk about what's going on with right. the New York Attorney General civil right. fraud case. We expect Yay. a verdict to be reached there, an order by Judge Ngoron or Justice Ngoron. Next week, we'll talk about the mm -hmm. amount. We'll also talk about this report by retired federal judge Barbara Jones about her 14-month review of the Trump Organization, where she found errors and inconsistencies and omissions and phantom loans all during past you know 18 month period 14 month period where she um where she's been overseeing it just in those 14 months alone while the lawsuit is pending we'll talk about that and more let's take our first quick break but you feed your dog goes a long way to helping them lead their best lives uh... no no you're no risk to it makes me feel also the packaging okay, is we're gonna pull up to the beginning justice prevail The jury has spoken an $83.3 million verdict against ha, ha, Donald ha. Trump in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case. $7.3 million in <laughs> compensatory damages, $11 million in reputational damages, and dropping that hammer, $65 million in punitive damages against Donald Trump, as I said, a total of $83.3 million. You see right there, E. Jean Carroll with her lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, leaving the federal <laughs> courthouse victorious. <laughs> Justice prevailed. Donald Trump was defeated. Will Donald Trump uh -huh. now stop tormenting E. Jean Carroll as he was even doing during the trial? And now that this verdict has been entered, Alina Habba's out there whining. What happens next will break down the process of if Donald Trump appeals, he's going to have to post a bond. What's that going to look like? We will keep you posted on all the updates. Next, we also expect that Donald Trump will get hit with another verdict next week in the range of $370 million to $500 million in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case, and he will also be banned from ever doing real estate business uh -huh. again in the state of New York. Goran, Justice Ngoron, the judge presiding over the case, is expected to make his final ruling this upcoming week. And just in time, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals issued an important ruling on a case involving Martin Shrikeli. Remember that guy? Pharma bro, and the decision by the Second Circuit there has now become persuasive and powerful precedent that I think will defeat Donald Trump's chance of ever succeeding if he tries to appeal the judgment in the New York Attorney General case that's about to be entered. So, Michael Popak, we're looking at about a half a billion dollars in judgments against Donald Trump, <laughs> as you and I predicted here on Legal AF, which will likely be entered before February 1. It should also be noted that the Financial Monitor 
who's been overseeing Donald Trump's finances in connection with the New York Attorney General civil fraud case, retired federal judge Barbara Jones, just in time as well, sent a letter to Justice Arthur and Goron, a 14-month report, a 14-month look back on her review of the Trump Organization with massive red flags that she is informing Justice Ngoron of. We'll talk about the implications of her letter. Donald Trump, desperate for a distraction, filed a motion to disqualify Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis. He joined. Trump always joins these things mm. late, right? Like after the evidence and facts have now come out, making it increasingly clear that this whole thing with Bonnie Willis has much to do about absolutely nothing. They, like, unsealed divorce records. It showed absolutely nothing. And it's all this MAGA nonsense. Then Donald Trump goes, you know what? Maybe now I should join in the motion to try to disqualify and get her dismissed. It's Donald Trump's a loser, and he likes to whine about losing. And his timing is always the worst. Like also, all of the judges, including the right-wing judges of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, unanimously rejected Donald Trump's petition for an en banc rehearing of the gag order that was imposed on him by federal judge Tanya Chutkin in the D.C. criminal case and affirmed mostly by a three-judge panel in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals Donald Trump said, hey, maybe can like all of the judges now of all the judges who comprise the D.C. Circuit hear this? And all of them were like, none of us want to hear this. Please go away. But still, <laughs> the three-judge D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal panel that is hearing the absolute immunity appeal by Donald Trump, they have not yet ruled which I was expecting this past week, this next week would be the latest. I would have expected that to drop. So we'll see if they issue their order um, regarding Trump's absolute immunity appeal next week. But Popak, could you imagine if they deny Donald Trump's absolute immunity appeal next week? Judge Ngoron uh, enters a close to a half a billion dollar order judgment against Donald Trump. The E. Jean Carroll verdict, and all of that happens before February one. A lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot. Happens. Yeah, yeah. Donald Trump's not the only one that tries to time his filings in order to to um, for maximum impact. I am sure. I am sure. Judge Angoron, special delight, is putting the finishing touches now on his um, whether it's three hundred, four hundred, five hundred million dollar decision against Donald Trump and to ban Donald Trump from the real estate industry for life. The New York civil fraud case now having seen how Judge Kaplan handled this courtroom. We'll go into that in detail during the one week trial. Donald Trump acting out and flouting the rules again in the courtroom, but uh, a jury standing by ready to punish him. The whole jury, the whole trial of E. Jean Carroll was about sending a sufficient punishing message message through punitive damages to stop his misconduct for which Donald Trump in the courtroom, outside the courtroom and during the trial could not help himself but continued to, um, to uh, perform misconduct in front of the jury, which only led to a much higher, I believe, much higher amount than they would have had he just played nicely in the sandbox and colored within the lines. And when we get there, Ben, We'll talk about on, on the uh, three-judge panel 
thing. Yeah, that's got to come out. I, I'm beyond tapping my foot on this one. It is obvious to me, and we'll, we can touch on it when we get to that segment, that that three-judge panel on absolute immunity, the D.C. Court of Appeals led by Judge Pan and then Judge Childs and Judge Henderson are struggling to get the votes around how they're going to deny Donald Trump's appeal. I don't think the struggle that we're, that we're watching in the sense that it hasn't come out fast enough, the decision. The struggle is not over. There's a holdout, and there's maybe a majority to find absolute immunity for criminal conduct while somebody's in office. The struggle is how to write this and how to thread the needle and get all the votes together for a combination of jurisdiction. Do we have jurisdiction? And then a combination of, and then do we need to send it back Judge Chutkin for anything, or can we just declare once and for all there's no absolute immunity? They're struggling with it, knowing the historic moment. We're watching the struggle in the sense that, it, that this is why the order has not come out. Once we see the order, you and I and Karen will be able to pick through it, and we will know exactly what the conflict was and how it was resolved by way of this majority decision that we're waiting on. I think you and I both agree that the outcome will be Donald Trump does not have absolute presidential immunity. But to your point, the delay is likely being caused by these technical issues, the jurisdictional issues. Do you have to remand for certain technical questions to be answered by federal judge Tanya Chutkin as to each specific act? Or can you just kind of sweepingly just say this absolute immunity thing is just totally without merit. Um, those types of questions are probably what's being discussed, but I have no doubt, or I feel very confident, I should say, that they're all in agreement, or at least the majority of the panel is what you need, is in agreement that there is no absolute immunity. We'll get to that a little later. To your point on Judge and Goran, I just think he was waiting for that report. He asked for that report from retired Judge Barbara Jones. And I think when we hear about Judge Ngoron's order, yes, the headline's going to be the amount somewhere between $370 million, but with prejudgment interest that'll, and penalties, it'll probably look closer to 450, 500 million. But I think that what's gonna be talked about a lot, and we'll go through this when we talk about the Judge Ngoron uh, section and, and, and his potential ruling, there's going to be a lot of discussion on his view about Donald Trump's ongoing behavior of fraud, the persistent mm -hmm. systemic fraud that was identified in Judge Barbara Jones' report, Trump's ongoing behavior. And I think some of the big headlines is going to be that Donald Trump, even during the trial, posed a systemic threat to the financial system as evidenced by reports by the monitor. And that brings us, and it's a nice segue to talk about what happened in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case, because rarely do you see somebody on trial that in a criminal case continues to commit the crime while they are on trial or in a civil case, which the E. Jean Carroll case was a civil case for monetary damages. Do you see a person who's on trial for defamation continuing to defame and continuing to behave in the way that they were accused of, right? Most defendants 
even when they did the underlying act, try to at least pretend that they didn't do that or they don't act like that, and they're not going to keep on giving evidence to the person that's suing them or give evidence to the prosecution. But this was such a unique situation where during the trial, Trump would be posting defamatory statements about E. Jean Carroll. E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, would then be showing it to the the judge and saying, I want to admit this into evidence, and then it would be admitted into evidence. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, he just did it again. When? Just now. <laughs> Moments ago. You just, you witnessed the defamatory statements live in real time in this court. So no doubt that was a major aspect of the jury's verdict. And E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, and Sean Crowley made that very clear in their closing arguments as well, that that's what what was going on, and that's why you needed to send a message. Here are my takeaways, Popak, and then I want to throw it to you. Number one, the entire defense by Donald Trump uh, through Alina Haba was horrifying, was sickening, was disgusting. Alina Haba went there during the opening statements and closing arguments and argued E. Jean Carroll should be happy. This is what she wanted. Donald Trump gave her what she wanted pain and attention. So really, Donald Trump is the victim here, which is the routine that these MAGAs do on their right-wing networks. But that's a horrific argument. That's like a horrific thing in a court of law to say. It's horrific to say anywhere. But she tried to bring that MAGA Trump cult stuff into a court, and it didn't play, and say the victim of a rape should be happy because her rapist gave her fame and keeps giving her fame by defaming her. And E. Jean Carroll's lawyers said what I just said to the jury. How horrifying. Can you believe that that's what they are actually arguing to you today? That's what they're arguing to Trump's behavior in the courtroom, storming out, speaking under his breath, showing contempt for the jury, walking out before the jury walks out, just acting like a complete maniac in the courtroom. Three. Alina Haba was just the worst lawyer ever from every aspect of it. She was not likable, and she was incompetent. She couldn't do basic things like introduce evidence. She doesn't know what admissible evidence even is. She doesn't know how to lay a foundation. She couldn't perform the most basic functions of being a lawyer. Four, as I mentioned, evidence created during the trial. Five, the judge controlling the courtroom and showing a roadmap for how you control your courtroom. When Donald Trump tried to speak out loud, Judge Kaplan would yell at him and say, be quiet, Mr. Trump. This is my courtroom. Understand what I'm saying. Be quiet right now. And Donald Trump would listen. He would put Donald Trump in his place over and over again and would not let this become a circus-like environment. And finally, number six, E. Jean Carroll, her courage, and the competency and just exceptional nature of her lawyers, Roberta Kaplan and Sean Crowley, who were A-plus lawyers and delivered just an incredible opening and closing. How much money is it going to take to make him stop? You're going to have to decide that because he needs to stop this behavior. Those are my takeaways. Popak, let me throw it to you. Well... Yeah, I agree with everything that all all the five things that you just said. You've got a judge, you've got a collision here between a federal judge with empowered and and um, 
uh, with all of the endowed with all the powers of a federal judge who knew who his enemy was in the sense of a defendant that was going to act out was going to be contemptuous or contumacious was going to be uh, disrespectful to the process to the system to the administration of justice to the jury and everybody else knowing that because of what happened we all had a dress rehearsal back in april and may um, a, a similar but not identical trial, but about liability, about whether Eugene Carroll was raped by Donald Trump, and he, and the jury of nine people in May found that she was. Um, and the only issue for this jury seems to be a, um, a concept lost on Alina Haba and on Donald Trump is not about liability. It's not about anything other than how big of a check for punitive damages would be written. When you walk into a courtroom, you're the defendant in a case where the jury needs to determine if they are going to throw the book at you and award punitive damages, having already been instructed day one, including during jury selection, by the judge. This is a case about the amount of punitive damages, if any, that you, you are going to award. You, will, you are to assume that Donald Trump raped, raped, um, sexually assaulted E. Jean Carroll, and that he defamed her uh, in, the, in the 2019 period when he was president and thereafter. You were to take all of that into account, including his intent to harm her uh, with prejudice against her, with animus against her. Um, those are the factors that the jury had at its disposal from the moment they walked into a courtroom. And you and I have talked a lot about on Legal AF over the last and a half to four years, um, our faith in the jury system. So we saw it play out here. I know that Robin Kaplan, the lawyer for Eugene Carroll, is, is now on, on a network television. Hopefully we'll get her back on the podcast again. Um, it's also declaring her faith in the jury system. That they sent a message to bullies everywhere um, that they will be held accountable. And if you, uh, if you try to do, this is now the second example of this with Rudy Giuliani a couple of months ago, also acting out in front of a jury, um, doing things inappropriately in real time that was brought to the jury's attention, continuing to defame the people for which he was on uh, on trial for for same thing, defamation damages, punitive damages included, and the same result. He got a $148 million hit from a D.C. jury. This one, uh, right, by the way, right on the money not just what we predicted, but right on the money of where a jury needs to be in order to have its jury verdict held ultimately through a trial and an appellate process I'll talk about in a minute. At $65 million in punitive damages against the $28 million in actual damages, if you will, is, is so perfectly calculated um, to, to survive an appeal. I know all these nutty MAGA people are up on social media saying, he'll, 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 she'll never see one cent. You're right, she's not going to see one cent. She's going to see whatever the total is for $3 <laughs> million dollars worth of cents. And that is going to get paid. That, the, the, the process now um, that people should understand as we, as we manage expectations or set expectations is that, that that judgment will become final in about 30 days. Sure, Lena Hava is going to file a motion for remittiture or vacatur, which means to take to have the judge take away from the jury and lower the number or eliminate the jury verdict. He's never, uh, uh, Lewis Kaplan, the judge, having watched Donald Trump act 
reacted appropriately and teeter on the edge of contempt and mistrial for most of this case, for all of this case, is not lowering the number. He also has the power to raise the number, by the way. So Lena Haba, when she, when she asks for less, look for Robbie Kaplan to ask for a bit more and see what Judge Kaplan does in terms of it. Now, I don't think he takes it away from the jury. I think he's going to affirm and confirm the jury award. Once he does that, that judgment becomes final, and they can go enforce that judgment and show up with a sheriff at bank accounts, which we know where they exist, because the, the Barbara Jones monitor has, you know, we know where all the bank accounts are, unless they file the pellet bond, take another appeal, like they did in the first case for the $5.2 million. At this time, it's not just coming up with cash, you know, just chump change, and I mean literally chump change because he's taking it off the chumps that support him. But that Donald Trump does, never pays for his own, does, doesn't pay for his own bills and legal bills or on posting. But that was 5.2 million plus interest, plus another 10%. This is more. This is 83 million. So he's either going to have to get and go through the monitor to get it ultimately, supply proper financial statements, oh, what a tangled web we weave, to a bonding company and try to get a 10% bond and only have to put up $8.3 million, or let's say $10 million, and then have the bonding company be on the hook for the rest. I don't know what bonding company, knowing that Donald Trump is committed persistent fraud in the state of New York as a judge by a judge, is going to do a bond for him, or he's going to have to come up with the 83 and change plus another set of interest, probably closer to $100 million and put it into the court registry in order to stop the enforcement of that while he takes it, uh, what will ultimately be a losing appeal to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals on his way to the Supreme Court again on whether he had absolute, absolute immunity. Alina Hava, you did a great job on your hot takes, and, and we'll talk about it more here. It, it just uh, is this constant harangue that she used, that she intoned and berated the jury with about of First Amendment and the blame the rape victim and the blame the the rape victim had it coming in other words and the rape victim is profiting from this and and you shouldn't give her more money she's made so much money because she was raped by my client I mean this is just mind-boggling bad and the jury which as I started my my uh, analysis here juries hate being lied to being found found that you're inauthentic and that you're talking down to them, patronizing them. And I assure you, having worked with juries for years, this jury despised Alina Haba, despised the muttering, unhinged ramblings of Donald Trump. Alina Haba was shot down by the judge in front of the jury half a dozen times for doing things that were inappropriate, including being warned that she was, that she was teetering on the edge of sanctions and contempt. Juries follow the leader, the leader being the judge wearing a black robe. They look for direction from that person. That's their boss, if you will, while they're sitting there doing their civic duty. I'm sure they had a lot of respect for, for uh, Judge Kaplan. And when, when a judge looks at a lawyer and says, you're effing up in my courtroom, juries take notice. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to calculate punitive damages, as you said, Ben, that defendant should be like a halo should they, they should be wearing like their best clothes and look prim and proper and just shut the f up in court it, unless you're testifying at that moment but that's not donald trump's I'm approach say something he already had an example of what not to do with rudy giuliani and what a jury could do in response she's getting paid <clears throat> it was like several million dollars she's already gotten paid 
in response. But that didn't stop him. So he took a five million dollar judgment from the Must summer. Must be part of the job description to she's going to lose misconduct her license. and his lawyer's <laughs> misconduct. Turn that into an $83 million judgment with a brand new jury in New York. One last comment, Ben. Eric Garland, to get credit also here for what he finally did in terms of taking the position ultimately that there was no, pre there was no presidential immunity that would allow the, the, the uh, United States to intervene in the case to take Donald Trump out and therefore seek the case's dismissal. There was a period for about a year we were wondering what Merrick Garland was going to do with the E. Jean Carroll case. If he had stepped in and said, well, that looks like it's inside of presidential immunity and his scope of authority to have made those comments while he was president of the United States. So for future precedent, we're gonna step in. That would have killed this case in its tracks and set a terrible precedent that the D.C. Court of Appeals and Supreme Court are dealing with now about immunity for civil and criminal acts of Donald Trump. So shout out to Merrick Garland. We would not be talking about an $83 million judgment for E. Jean Carroll if he had, if he had asserted, if you will, presidential immunity and taken Donald Trump out of this case. You know, it's a hyper-technical immunity issue, which you could write hyper-technical textbooks about it. Suffice to say, there's a statute called the Westfall Act where the Department of Justice can assert that underlying conduct falls within the course and scope of presidential duties and therefore substitute in the United States as a defendant or party in the case in place of the government official. Bill Barr tried to do that as the facts developed. Merrick Garland ultimately decided not to do that. But because Alina Haba was so incompetent, she could have, independent of that process, asserted absolute presidential immunity as an affirmative defense, independent of what the attorney general would do or not do, to still be able to try to make that argument. She failed to basically check the box and put that sentence uh, in the answer, which you would literally just say Donald Trump hereby asserts absolute presidential immunity. So when that issue more recently went before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, they mm -hmm. laughed Jerry Alina Trump. Haba out of court and said, yeah, you're about three years too late for this. And also in Alina Haba's press conference that she had after the trial concluded, where she was whining about things like the judge wouldn't let my experts in, the judge wouldn't allow the dress to come in, the judge wouldn't all of blah, blah, blah. The reality is, is that Alina Haba waived all of those things. She, she, based on her bad lawyering for Donald Trump's decisions, they never turned over the DNA on time, which they could have done, and they could have made that an issue. It would have related to the first trial, not this trial, but they never turned that over on time. She waived the expert. She didn't file the, the declarations on time. She didn't designate appropriate experts. It was disqualified because she just didn't follow the most basic fundamental rules of civil procedure. And it was clear when she was in trial that she's just a very incompetent person. And Trump surrounds himself with incompetent, yes, people like Alina Haba. And afterwards, she posted something like, let's go, MAGA. This is not the end of this. We're just getting started. Like, just getting started with what? Losing more? 
I can only hope that she takes a more robust role on all things Donald Trump. Final thing I want to mention, federal judge Lewis Kaplan gave a warning to jurors. He treated this case like a mob boss case, like a mafia case, as though you had El Chapo in front of him. He said, do not, I'm going to give you a warning. You can do what you want to do here, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, but I would suggest strongly you tell nobody ever that you served on this jury because you could be in danger. So do not tell anybody. And the way he conducted his court, federal judge Lewis Kaplan was that of a mafia trial. So Popak, to your point, Donald Trump will now have to post a bond. E. Jean Carroll, um, unless Donald Trump doesn't post a bond, if he doesn't post the bond, E. Jean Carroll can start collections right away. If Trump posts the bond, it stays the collections pending the appeal. Trump will inevitably lose the appeal. That may take a year to kind of work its way through the courts. But in terms of when I would expect E. Jean Carroll to be paid as it goes through the appeal process on both cases, I mean, you're probably talking about in 12 to 18 months to, to, to about two years, you know, she'll get paid. But Trump is going to have to pay that money. He's not going to be, you know, he's not going to be able to wiggle out of this one. I think you and I both agree. When we come back, let's talk about what's going on with the New York Attorney General civil fraud case. We expect a verdict to be reached there, an order by Judge Ngoron or Justice Ngoron. Next week, we'll talk about the amount. We'll also talk about this report by retired federal judge Barbara Jones about her 14-month review of the Trump Organization, where she found errors and inconsistencies and omissions and phantom loans all during the past, you know, 18-month period, 14-month period where she um, where she's been overseeing it. Just in those 14 months alone, while the lawsuit is pending, we'll talk about that and more. Let's take our first quick break. What you feed your dog goes a long way to helping them lead their best lives. No, no. Your first order to be before a jury. Trump keeps on losing over and over again whenever he's before juries. But um, Justice Ngoron previously announced that he was going to release his uh, order sometime before February 1st. New York Attorney General Letitia James is requesting approximately $370 million in damages against Donald Trump and the Trump Organization also requesting uh, injunctive relief uh, to stop or bar Donald Trump from ever conducting business again in the state of New York, especially in the real estate sector, um, and seeking a five-year ban on Don Jr. and Eric from nah. being involved in real estate. Um, New York Attorney General Letitia James has already prevailed regarding her uh, prior claim as to the dissolution of the Trump Organization where Justice Ngoron ruled in uh, the favor of the New York Attorney General's office that based on the <laughs> systemic and persistent uh, fraud and the fact that there were no disputed facts that the Trump organization would be dissolved. That's currently uh, under appeal, but that's paused while we wait for Justice Arthur Ngoron's order here as to the remaining causes of action, which include the disgorgement, the return of ill-gotten gains. That's what disgorgement is, return of that money that you basically took improperly from the state of New York based on your uh, conduct. And to that, Letitia James is requesting $370 million. But when you add um, the prejudgment interest at approximately 9 or 10% per year compounding, 
you know, you can get up to around $500 million when you add up the total of the interest plus penalties plus the $370 million New York Attorney General Letitia James uh, is requesting there. And we expect that order to be handed down next week. So two major developments, though, in this past week um, that I think are very worth uh, reporting. Both are going to be helpful to New York Attorney General Letitia James and also helpful to Justice Arthur and Goron in crafting an order that will survive appeal. First, there was a Second Circuit Court of Appeal decision that was reached in a case involving Martin Shrikelli. You remember Martin Shrikelli? He's the farmer bro. He went to jail. He was he testified before Congress and invoked the fifth. And um, he had raised the prices of various pharmaceutical drugs like the antiparasitic Daraprim um, to like thousand percent higher than it should, you know, than it should have been. Um, but anyway, under the New York Attorney General statute that is used uh, against uh, Donald Trump. It was the same New York Attorney General executive law used against Shirkelly. And Shirkelly's appeal of the utilization of that law that fined him around 65 to $75 million in disgorgement damages, whereas New York Attorney General Letitia James is seeking $370 million disgorgement damages from Donald Trump, and whereas Shirkelly was been, has been banned from the pharmaceutical industry, New York Attorney General Letitia James is seeking to ban Donald Trump from the real estate industry and from doing business in New York. So Shrikeli's appeal and Shrikeli's case worked its way through the federal courts, not through the state court system. But nonetheless, Shrikeli was challenging this executive law that's used by the New York Attorney General, saying it's unconstitutional, it's improper, all of the arguments you'll expect that Donald Trump makes about this law. Notably, one of the things that Donald Trump says too, right, which is false, which we dispelled, is that this law has never been utilized before. They're targeting me with this law. This is the first time New York Attorney General Letitia James or New York Attorney General has used it before. That's not true. It's been used actually quite with a great degree of frequency, but it's been utilized a lot by the New York Attorney General's office over and over again. In fact, Donald Trump's own expert in the New York Attorney General's civil fraud case um, testified in one such case that was brought by the New York Attorney General. So this, this has been utilized before. So the fact that Shrikeli lost to the, in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, where they said, nope, we affirm the district court's ruling that this statute by New York that's being utilized by the New York Attorney General is proper, that the remedy here of disgorgement against Shrikeli plus the permanent lifetime ban from the pharmaceutical injury is appropriately tailored, that's beneficial to New York Attorney General Letitia James. If you've been following Legal AF, we've talked about it here in the closing arguments, the New York Attorney General's office referenced that case, but there had yet to be a ruling by the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. And in fact, in fact, it would have been very bad to the New York Attorney General's office if the Second Circuit struck down that law and said it was improperly used with Shrikeli. But as soon as the Shrikeli decision was just handed down, what did New York Attorney General Letitia James do? Like any really good lawyer, immediately sent a letter to uh, immediately sent a letter to Justice Arthur and Goron informing Judge and Goron of the decision reached by the Second Circuit. Now, the Second Circuit is not the appellate division 
in the state court system. It's in the federal system. So this is not binding authority on Justice Arthur and Goran, but we call it in the law persuasive authority. And the fact that it's happening in a federal court in New York, I would say it's powerful persuasive authority that shows that the New York Attorney General has the authority, and it's a recent case, to do the exact remedy that she is seeking against Donald Trump. So the Shrikeli ruling, I think, was a big one right there. And then we get this Barbara Jones letter. The retired Judge Barbara Jones, the independent monitor uh, who was appointed after New York Attorney General Letitia James prevailed in an injunction back in uh, 2022. Um, Judge Ngoran found Trump was engaged in ongoing issues and ongoing financial machinations that required somebody to oversee what was going on. And Popak, you read this letter by Judge uh, Barbara Jones here. This is an independent judge. She was selected by Trump. Both parties selected her. This is someone with an impeccable reputation whose job was just to look through the books for the past 14 months. Her job isn't to, she's not a judge, right? She, she doesn't make the ruling. She just reports on what she sees. And her letter says she's reviewed for the past 14 months. I've identified certain deficiencies in the financial information that I have reviewed, including disclosures that are either incomplete, present results inconsistently, and or contain errors. In addition, although while defendants have been cooperative, uh, require, uh, have been cooperative, information required to be submitted to me pursuant to the terms of the monitorship order and review protocol has at times been lacking in completeness and timeliness. I have previously reviewed these items with the Trump Organization, which has often agreed to modify the disclosures or implement processes that improve accuracy, transparency, and the timeliness of their disclosures. In other words, they're continuing to engage in this conduct. And then you read this footnote, Popak, that talks about Footnote six, where they're talking about inconsistent disclosures, incomplete disclosures, and errors just over the past 14 months. Of particular note, I discussed the springing loan previously disclosed as being between Donald J. Trump individually and Chicago Unit Acquisition, an entity related to the Trump Chicago Tower, with the Trump Organization several times. When I inquired about this loan, I was informed that there are no loan agreements that memorialize the loan, but that it was a loan that was believed to be between Donald J. Trump individually and Chicago Unit Acquisition for $48 million. However, in recent discussions with the Trump Organization, it indicated that it has determined that the loan never existed, and thus it would be removed from any upcoming form submitted to the Office of Government Ethics and would also be removed from subsequent versions of the MAML, which stands for material assets and material liability. So a $48 million phantom loan sounds like fraud to me. And Popak, Judge Jones, it's not her job to say this is fraud or not fraud, just to flag what she found. It's for New York Attorney General Letitia James to you know, characterize it a certain way and the judge to make rulings. But this happened since filing. Finally, before I pass it to you, before all the legal efforts get upset, Popak was having some technical difficulties on his end, which is why I hogged this category. Otherwise, I would share and let Popak speak. So for anyone in the comments who are saying, let Popak speak, 
I was doing Popak a solid right there. I'm going to let Popak take the full next topic after we talk about and Judge Barbara Jones a, to make up for it. And does not have a Popak mute button. I, I assure you, I had some technical difficulties as Ben outlined. But we've got good news um, that we can report right on target, right, right, right about what Ben said to start the podcast. Judge Angoron is going to be issuing his uh, order on Wednesday, the court has announced this week, just as we said, waiting for the results of the uh, jury, the federal jury in the E. Jean Carroll case, and waiting for this report that we're going over in detail by former Judge Barbara Jones. Judge Angoron is ready to uh, having, I'm sure, as I said earlier in my analysis uh, weeks ago, that he had most of that order um, written uh, at the time of the closing arguments a couple of weeks ago that went terribly for Chris Keis, the lawyer for Donald Trump, and uh, was just waiting to see if there was anything that he had missed in, 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 uh, in 11 weeks of trial, in dozens of witnesses, in the experts, uh, so-called experts by Donald Trump, and in the thousands of pages of exhibits that he, and yes, shout out to his principal law clerk, that he and his principal law clerk sifted through and coordinated and, um, and, and um, analyzed uh, for the 11 week judges and not the jurors for fact-finding. Don't wait until the very end in order to start drafting or uh, coming up with their uh, final judgments. They are every day. They are noting things in the daily transcript of that trial about things that will be important to their ultimate decision. Um, and, uh, and they're making notes and taking notes in real time that end up getting, you know, a, a weave into their order. So it shouldn't come as any surprise that a couple of weeks after, less than a couple of weeks after the oral argument, He's ready to issue what, what I expect would be a 15, 20, 25, whatever page, single-spaced, as only Judge Angoron can do, order against Donald Trump upwards, upwards, I think closer to the 500 million that you talked about. And now he's got, the judge has even more fodder and firepower, because even though the persistent fraud findings are for a period of time, not necessarily up to the moment, the monitoring as a remedy that he installed and will continue, obviously, to keep in place to make sure that there are controls over this New York corporation unless and until the time when they are dissolved, which is a separate matter, I guess, at the appellate court level. Um, this only gives the judge, and I'm sure he will cite to it, that even today, an organization that Donald Trump still heads and for which his his children are still officers um, uh, and control officers is not being honest and truthful and forthright nor have proper controls in place in the company even at the moment even to the moment and that demonstrates that they have no interest or desire um, to run the to run that organization in a way that's consistent with new york law and um and and the judge's findings and to your point about the law at the, uh, the Kelly case, I always get his name screwed up, Pharma Bro case that the Second Circuit came down with, although not directly on point, it does talk about the powers of a New York attorney general or attorney general to seek both disgorgement and industry banning. That, 
that law that she's using has been on the books since 1956. Uh, Jacob Javits, for which there is a convention center named after him in New York, where before he was a senator, was an attorney general, and he got that power back in 1956. That's how long that's been on the books. So if you don't like the way New York corporation law works, or you don't like the power of the attorney general, such as the NRA that incorporated in the early 1910s in New York, or Donald Trump's organization, who his father incorporated in New York in the 1950s and 60s, then you move out and you go to states like DeSantis land in Florida, if you don't like that, where you don't have to worry about an attorney general going after you because they don't go after anybody, especially on the MAGA world. But if you're going to stay in New York, this was always been a power. In fact, part of the power of disgorgement was was embodied in a case involving the Trump organization and Trump University. And so, you know, and, and the ability to declare persistent fraud and the powers that flow from that. So for Chris Keist to continue to get up, so they have this, this broken record. You know, Alina Haba can't stop saying, it's almost like a Tourette's. She can't stop saying First Amendment. Everything is First Amendment. First Amendment right to defame E. Jean Carroll. First Amendment right for my client to say anything he wants that pops into his head in a courtroom. First Amendment right for me to speak and not be banned and barred by the judge. And Chris Tice, the same thing. Everything there is you can't, disgorgement is not an appropriate remedy. There's no power to disgorge by way of the New York Attorney General. Look, Chris, I know you don't practice in New York regularly. You're a Florida lawyer. And therefore, you know, I would expect you to be more expert in Florida law, but you don't know what the heck you're talking about when it comes to the New York Attorney General. And if that's going to be your appeal, when the, when the judge nails your client and cites the judge uh, and continues to cite the judge Jones's monitoring, where she actually said, buried in this 14 pages, Ben, she actually said, I wasn't really charged with figuring out whether they're committing fraud or not. And I will. Right. And I and I can't and I'm not I haven't been hired to do that. And I can't attest that they're not continuing to commit fraud. I can tell you there's control problems. I can tell you they make non-material. That they haven't come back to me on certain of the errors that they switched using a statement of financial condition and started using this MAML, this material assets thing, without getting lender approval. I don't know if that's proper or not. You know, and, and I'm still, they're still doing transactions behind my back that I have to then find with my team and report to you. This is not a, re a report card that you want if you're trying to convince a judge that you're on your best behavior and you shouldn't be dissolved and you no longer need to have a monitor over you. I mean, listen, I'll be frank. I've been involved with an organization and it happens in financial services that has had, you know, sort of... Uh, other outside agencies that have wanted to put monitors over them and, and for a short period of time over certain parts of their business. And you better make sure you get a clean bill of health and straight A's on that report card, or you're going to just buy a lifetime monitor. And, and until this company is either put out of its misery by a, the judge's order affirmed on appeal that it should be dissolved because it can't operate in any way other than in a criminal way, in a fraudulent way, and they're going to have this monitor in place for as long as possible. You know, you go back to the E. Jean Carroll case, he can't stop. 
that was one of the themes of Roberta Kaplan's close and Sean Crowley's closing argument. He can't, you have to make him stop. He's incapable. There, there could be other trials of he won't stop doing it unless you make him stop engaging in this defamatory behavior against his rape victim, right? Here in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case, it's a financial argument like that. He, he's incapable of not committing fraud. He, he continues to commit fraud over and over again and just can't be stopped. So, Judge, we have to use this law, which was just affirmed by the Second Circuit, because even during the period of the lawsuit, they kept on doing it. And again, while I think one of the headlines here is going to be the number, because the numbers always get lots of headlines, whether it's $370 million,